0: With a closer look at the news and events affecting Prince George, welcome to After Nine on 93.1 CFIS FM.
1: It's the Friday edition, which means we have the panel coming up at the bottom of the hour. But to start the show, uh, something new. We used to carry front burner from CBC News, but now it's a a brand new podcast here in Prince George The Ram and Stag Show.
2: I'm Nathan Gita, and I'm Aaron Eckman from BC's Northern Capital. Welcome to the Ram and Stag Show. Does our constitution mean anything anymore? From our earliest civics classes in school, or from the time we begin our path to citizenship, we are taught that the Charter of Rights and Freedoms is a sacred document, ensuring justice and equality for all, regardless of race, class, creed, or background. The Constitution sets its own high measures in its opening lines, whereas Canada was founded on principles that recognize the supremacy of God and the rule of law. But since the pandemic began, these solemn declarations have not been the guiding principles of our public policy response to the virus. Instead, the section that immediately follows has been interpreted as broadly as possible by our authorities. Canadian Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees the rights and freedoms set out in it subject only to such reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Let's just look at that a little more closely. Reasonable limits prescribed by law as can be demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. You can read that one of two ways. Most of us would read that to mean it is difficult to restrict civil liberties and fundamental rights in Canada. But as the virus has demonstrated, our authorities believe that Section 1 permits them to suspend any activities that they deem to be unsafe. Here in British Columbia, one of those high-risk activities has been gathering for public worship, or in layman's terms, going to church is extremely dangerous. Mosques, Temples, synagogues, parishes, and garages were shuttered last year during the initial shutdown and are now at over a 100 days of being closed since the second lockdown began. This has resulted in many holy days of all religions going unobserved by the faithful who are becoming increasingly frustrated. What makes this situation even worse is that while houses of the holy are closed, all of the houses of sin, vice, or worldly needs are open. You can't go into an establishment that was built for prayer, but you can go into one that was built for booze, gambling, or marijuana. The places of worship and the churches are closed, but Walmart and Costco are open, continuing to serve thousands of people daily, while the largest shrine doesn't even get a tenth of that just once a week. Dr. Bonnie Henry has been adamant. Faith is not a building, she said. It's not about Sunday mornings, but it's about every day and how we connect with each other and how we support each other. It's not about rights. Many of us might cite the Charter to prove her wrong, as our first fundamental freedom is of conscience and religion, then expression, then assembly, then association. But Section 1 precedes our fundamental freedoms and can be used to limit them. Churches in the Lower Mainland are finally demanding clarification regarding these orders. And thus, they are before the B.C. Supreme Court alongside the government. Unfortunately for our dear leaders, Chief Justice Christopher Hinkson is not interested in twisting the law into pretzels to accommodate the government's closures of churches. Indeed, Dr. Henry herself filed no affidavit for the case. So Judge Hinkson asked the obvious, how do I know what she is thinking And why? He went on. When you deprive the complainants of the ability to understand how she got from A to B, the court can't look at it. And it really isn't much of a review. It gives Dr. Henry absolute authority. And if she chooses not to share her thought process with the court, there is no oversight. Absolute authority. No oversight. Nothing to review. It's a miracle to hear these words from Judge Hinkson. We, the faithful, have been called obscenities and slurs for a year for saying the same. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms cannot be ignored, even in the midst of a pandemic. Thanks to a few brave souls down in the Lower Mainland, Dr. Henry's orders are finally being weighed and measured after a year. Let's all pray that they are found wanting so we can finally get our civil liberties back.
3: And whatever your position on this, and of course I... I'm not a churchgoer. I've, you know, I, uh, I, I probably should be, I, I, you know, it'd probably be a much better way to spend my Sundays than, than the, the copious amounts of video games that I play by myself in my house.
2: You know, I'm not a priest, right? Like <laughs> Confessing to me, confessing to me, isn't going to do this for you. Like, it's,
3: the contradiction <laughs> is undeniable. It's a good point you raise that, you know, I mean, I was actually down at uh, Walmart yesterday looking for a old component video switch box, uh, that you can't find anymore because I'm trying to get my old Xbox running again. There's a lot of people that are at a hard time getting a uh, a parking spot. And, you know, even as somebody who doesn't go to church, not a religious person, I have always found it to be a bit of a contradiction that, that these places have been shut down. Um, and I, I understand. I mean, y- you want to stop the transmission of the, of the virus. But, you know, I was also in a restaurant yesterday. And, uh, you know, I went to my favorite local pub. I'm not going to tell anybody what it is because I like being able to get a seat there. Yeah, exactly. There's a a few fewer seats available there now because I've had to space things out, but not many. Uh, It's not like there's half the seats. They've just put the allowable, you know, the required amount of space between each seat and people go in there and the place was almost packed. It was below the 56-person maximum that's posted on the door or whatever. But I just thought to myself... Uh, surely they can figure this out in churches if 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 they're given the same restrictions.
2: Well, you see the the, the trick is that well, it's not even a trick. It's like it's this truth. It's this hidden truth about the virus. It's a deeply religious virus. Right. Like it, it can only be found at church. Like it it can't be found at cost It's Hunkered down there. It, yeah. Under the pews. No. It can't. It can't be found at any big box store. It can only be found at churches and occasionally small businesses, but not the big box. stores.
3: But does it does it attack the people who are like 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 the real converted, or does it just go after the the people who are the, the real sinners that haven't confessed, and
2: you see, this is the question. Right. This is the question. A trial, trial. We used to call that a trial by uh, what was that? A trial by persecution, or something like that. I, I think the thing is that where this really touches me is that I mean, obviously, I take my faith very seriously. Like that. That's that's all very serious stuff. All joking aside, but the other side of the question for me is that like this is vital to people's just cultural understanding, how they celebrate things, how they mark things in their life. I mean, right now. You know, there's 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 fasts going on in certain faiths and then there are feasts coming in other faiths like this is very important. And and the fact that that's just been cut off for basically a year in some places, depending on where you're from throughout the world. But here in B.C., we've had two significant full stops on worship. It's it's just it, it really perturbs us who who are religiously observant, who are faithful. And and don't and don't see the consistency. And I could understand everyone staying at home and being paid to stay at home for three months or whatever we gotta do to solve the virus problem. Like, okay, I could I could reason my way through that, but it just doesn't make sense that churches are closed and and you know, the stores and all the other places and the malls are open. And, that doesn't make to, sense. I
3: have to admit I winced when I when I heard Dr. Bonnie Henry's rationale for this, trying to tell people that faith is not a building and it's, you know, it's not something that only takes place on Sunday. I just thought, I, I get it. I mean, you're a medical professional. I, you know, I trust you in terms of, you know, the measures that you're taking, et cetera, but it probably isn't helpful to explain to, to a faith-based community what faith means. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, mean, I, I guess I get what you were trying to accomplish there, but I, when, when I heard that, I thought, oh, that's not going to go over well. No.
2: No, and it, and it didn't, you know, it really didn't, obviously. And, and that's just it. Like, we don't turn to our medical professionals to catechize us about our various religions. We turn to them to, to, to help us with the body politic when it comes to health. It, church, there's so much precedence in the past around questions of plague and pandemic. It's not as if religions don't know what plague is, right? Um, it's, it's very, it's very few people in any religious group, even through the ones that might, you know, some of our listeners and watchers might might think are kind of very extreme or whatever. The fact of the matter is, is that not even in that minority, there's a minority in that minority that would even Im- imagine that somehow, you know, the, the effects of the world don't affect them both in their worldly life and their spiritual life. They, they understand that. And, and going all the way back through in the Western world, particularly the Catholic Church, having been around the longest Uh, has several, several moments where they had to deal with pandemic and plague and how that changed their worship services and their liturgy. The same thing can be found, uh, in the subcontinent. The same thing can be found in China. I'm sure that, I'm sure that we could find it even in Pacific pacific religions and religions that were in the new world um we would find that when there was pandemic plague disease epidemic they needed to figure things out and perhaps curtail things in order to survive as a people group that's not a that's not the question the question is there has to be consistency across the board and it doesn't matter where we are we're in a post enlightenment age and if we believe in fairness and that everybody has to be treated the same you cannot treat businesses different than churches that just doesn't make sense
3: i think the if i was to try to sort of steel man, the best argument for those that are in favor of shutting churches down and and continuing that closure. Uh, They're drawing the example, I guess, from the original, what was it, 1912 Spanish flu? Was it 1912? It's
2: 1917, 18,
3: 19. Yeah. Yeah, So uh, where, and if you you read through the records and there's, there were adamant um, arguments being made in opposition of the lockdowns, the limited lockdowns that they implemented then predominantly from churches because they did shut down churches at that time too. So I, you know, I imagine they're trying to look at that example and, and say, you know, in those cases where you had these massive congregations of people, they probably uh, contributed to these super spreader events, that kind of thing. So there's that argument there. I get that. But the contradiction is in all, as you've pointed out so well, all of the other areas that they're not shutting down, but I'll put this question to you. You know, I haven't heard you say this, but I, I haven't got anybody else from the right here sit at the table with me. So, uh if if i was to agree with you that yes we probably should treat churches at least the same as walmart and costco and you know every restaurant i've been to in the in the last couple of months uh, but can you can you argue realistically that churches should be opened up now but at the same time argue that the BCNDP was wrong to have put together an election when really the numbers haven't changed that much in terms of transmission new cases they've gone down a little bit but we we hadn't quite hit the spike of the second wave by by the 2020 election yet. And we heard all of these arguments from, uh, from the, well, from the opposition at the time that, and, and the Green Party, that the, the election can't take place now because, uh, you know, it's going to, it's going to contribute to the spread. And certainly I've heard people commentators on the right also say, you know, try to attribute this, the spike of the second wave to that election. So, so how can you make that? And I'm not saying you are, but how would one make that argument that churches should be open now when we're still averaging about, you know, four or 500 cases a day, three to four or 500 cases a day? Uh, and so there's still this risk of transmission, risk of new variants coming in. But still, blame the BC for for the spike in transmission because of the election.
2: Well, I think I think the real the real risk was always, of course, the spread of socialism. So they <laughs> we had to we had to make a you know we couldn't let there be an election. Right. I, I mean, we were that was that was really dangerous. Right.
3: It, was, it was the other pandemic. The that's other, right. The other that's viral right. I mean, it, we,
2: yes. so we had this we had this kind of perforated wall when it came to the the virus, and we did we didn't want people to go in there, and start voting, casting their ballots mm-hmm. for. Five dollar day daycare, whatever else, kind of well, socialist crazy crap. Is on coming. that point,
3: clearly you were correct because we now have a socialist government. So there it, it with is, an expanded mandate.
2: So. I think. I think the thing is that it was purely a talking point. There were some people who are probably genuinely afraid, but I, I got. I'm sorry, I'm going to have to throw my own side on the bus here. Like I don't. I never argued that myself. I didn't expect the American election to be suspended, you right, know, and I right. didn't even and I didn't like the result, did I? But I but I accepted that that, you know, they were going to have their election. They weren't going to change it. They'd had it through wars. They'd had it through a civil war. And so I I never understood the argument there. So I would have I think I would have been pretty consistent saying the churches should be open. So should the ballot boxes. Like, I don't understand who how how anybody could make this argument that, again, Costco's open, but somehow BC elections is closed. That doesn't make any sense.
1: That's part one of this week's Ram and Stag. We'll have part two in a moment here on After Nine.
0: Join us each week for Music and the Spoken Word, featuring the Tabernacle Choir at Temple Square, the longest-running, continuous weekly network broadcast in the world, celebrating over 90 years on the air. Each episode features modern and traditional arrangements of spiritual, patriotic, classical, and contemporary music, and a timely, inspiring message. Music and the Spoken Word with the Tabernacle Choir.
1: Now heard Sunday mornings at 8, here on 93.1 CFIS-FM. Most everyone knows
4: not to drink and drive, and that even small amounts of alcohol can be risky. But do we really understand that drinking small amounts of alcohol during the pregnancy can be harmful for our growing baby? Even in those early weeks before the pregnancy has been confirmed. Fetal alcohol spectrum disorder, FASD, is a lifelong disability that affects the brain and body of people who were exposed to alcohol in the womb. If you are pregnant or planning to be, please don't drink. There is no known safe time, safe type, or safe amount. We encourage you to see what's happening in your community to help reduce both the impact and the incidence of prenatal alcohol exposure. To learn more, please contact us at healthnexus.ca. Visit the bilingual FASD Ontario website or check out Canada's FASD Research Network. Spread the word. It's everyone's responsibility to help make pregnancies as healthy as they can be.
5: Community Arts Council memberships are now due. In order to facilitate online renewals and payments, their website, studio2880.com, has been upgraded. You can now pay online by credit card or e-transfer. You will find the membership renewal page under the gallery and shop link at studio2880.com. If you wish to renew in person or by check, drop by the gift shop Tuesday through Thursday between 11 and 5, or you can send it by mail. Full details on membership options are available at studio2880.com.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 70% chance of showers this morning. Showers this afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm. Wind becoming southeast 40, gusting to 60 this afternoon and a high of 8. Cloudy tonight with more gusting southeast winds and a low of 0. For Saturday, clearing a wind from the south at 20 and a high of 5.
0: You're listening to After Nine on Prince George's Community Station, ninety-three point one
3: CFIS FM.
1: As promised, here is the second part of this week's Ram and Stag. I was uh,
3: I was encouraged to see this decision by the judge to to strike down the injunction, essentially not honor it. It, it uh, to it, which sort of opens the door, I guess. I don't know what it's going to look like now. You'll you'll know better than I do, but I mean, as it stands now, the congregations that you've intended have been out in the parking lot anyway, and
2: that's right. That's um, right. I think one of the things that That's really important there, and this is something that, I don't know, right, like the BC Civil Liberties Union and everybody else that's pro-civil liberties, regardless of their background, should all be on the same side, is that (laughs) injunctions are a really, really nasty little trick that people play with because they just prevent the thing from happening, but they don't charge you with a crime. But then if you do the thing, you are found in contempt of of a court injunction. So they didn't come and arrest you because you committed a crime or something specific. There's an ordinance somewhere that you – you trespassed against they get you on contempt right or having trespassed this injunction and you're stuck like and what's your lawyer gonna argue you have the best lawyer in canada what's what are they gonna argue like i mean literally the injunction says this and you literally did that so you're you're done and, and it's ridiculous. So then, you, and then you get put in prison for a bit because anything against a court, right? In order to ensure that our justice system is always respected, anything against a court is going to result in that. So I think, I think for myself, I, I'm just excited that we finally have somebody in a in a justice robe that's actually got some common sense and is just demanding some clarification around these issues and is not just going to roll over and play nice with the government. I don't think judges should ever play nice with the government. I think they should assert that civil liberties come first.
3: Well, there has to be a, a tension there between the. The two bodies, but I, I am also encouraged that that the ruling went this way because there is this fundamental question underlying all this, which is uh, whose authority is greater—that that of the Constitution, certainly the judiciary who who interprets it when the questions are, are brought into place, or these unelected public health officials. And you know, I mean, the public health official is a—it's an interesting position within society, and it's not one that we've really had to grapple with very much because we haven't had a pandemic like this since 1917, uh, where where they've come in and and Uh, just sort of burst onto the stage. Now you suddenly, like the, the electorate now sees them every day in these briefings and they have enormous uh, power over everybody's everyday life, the power to shut down businesses, power to keep you in your home. It's, it's a militaristic type power that people didn't really realize that these public health officers had. Uh, And so it's interesting, like what's the limits of those power uh, of those powers. And of course they've been, they've debating this vociferously in the, in the U S for quite some time, especially in New York, Uh, And that's playing out in in interesting ways. But it it, it has, uh, you know, I said quite some time ago before we sort of got into the spike of the first wave, when everybody was, was glowing over Dr. Bonnie Henry and, and the flu vlogs had come out and and she could just, you know, she was suddenly this internet, like national, if not international sensation to some degree Mm -hmm. of like the example of how you do it correctly. And, and, and not to take anything away from her, but I remember, I remember saying to my partner at the time when I was watching all these news stories going, well, this is not going to age well. Like, you know at some point uh, people are going to start to feel the the crush of of the authority of this position it doesn't matter who's in it yeah. and and you can see some of that sort of play out at the federal level of course teresa tam has had uh, a, a lot of shade thrown her way by from various corners uh, bonnie henry has has been quite resilient i mean like the the cult of personality around her has been has survived much longer than i thought it would mm-hmm. uh but as the second we start to get to the tail end of the second wave and perhaps if there is going to be a third wave or additional variants it's interesting to see how how the tide starts to shift a little bit as as people start to run out of options and and faith and worship and and the observance of faith is is one area of course the economics of of the, you know the ramifications of of the economics of all this is another when when restaurants you start to see them dropping you start yep, to see businesses absolutely. going out. Uh, you can start to see, you know, people that you know uh, that have lost their job. They can't work anymore, uh, and you start to see the effect that has on society. Well, you know, people aren't going to be making more shoes in her name uh, at some point, <laughs> and and so it's it's sort of she's got to get her book deal now, <laughs> yeah, you know, cash in now <laughs> uh, because it's a time you know your time in the zeitgeist is probably probably limited,
2: and and it is right, it is like I think that. I think that you're right that you know maybe you kind of live long enough to see yourself become the vision sort or the sorry the villain sort of thing and and the issue the issue becomes very quickly that it, if you don't have your feet in motion you you could very quickly get stuck and then you're going to get tagged right you're going to get tagged with the bad policy you're the reason this went wrong it, that's the other thing about the public health side of things or even even medical professionals in general i really respect what they do there's no question but at the same time like they don't they don't play political games very well because they come from a basically uh, still a fairly meritocratic background and a very and a very uh hierarchical one where where, you know decisions are made in this way and uh, this is the specialist this is the generalist this is the you know an esthetician this is what's happening over here uh, this is what's going on with the nursing uh, area, et cetera. So, so the issue is that once they're into the public spotlight, it's a very different set of rules. It's a very different set of rules. And a second opinion in the public sphere is different than it is in the medical sphere. So I think that that's what's kind of wearing on her uh, to a point is that she's going to have to basically uh, take a step back Acknowledge that some things went sideways, and maybe pivot or or actually get out of the way and put someone else in front. Because of very quickly, the public I think is going to tire of what's going on cool. if it hasn't already.
3: Yeah, or at least acknowledge that you know the authority was overstepped.
2: Yep. Uh, no, which probably
3: would go a long way to um, to placating some of the folks that are quite quite angry by the decisions that have been made um but well, like, i mean she could
2: come she could come do some penance in front of all of the ministers of various religions and uh they could all give her absolution in a different way and
3: self-flagellation <laughs> with a pool noodle yeah yeah,
2: yeah i mean it it, it uh, i mean it's all it all sounds so terrible i guess like we're probably going to get flagged for all these comments because it sounds like we're i don't know inciting violence or something i don't know it, it. but the issue is that like real people it's 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 the after effect it's even like the soft side of it like if people can say like, you know, China lied, people died, that's true. But, but further to that, it's like, well, we overcompensated in some areas or we've been very inconsistent and real people did not get their last rites. That's part of my faith. That is an absolutely critical part of my faith going out the door. And perhaps those people were going out the door with COVID and they didn't get last rites and, and baptisms have been missed or curtailed. Weddings have been suspended or all but uncelebrated and might as well be a funeral. It's, it's been a dark time in faith, and I I can't attest to how it is in all the other religions because I don't know them as well as I know my own. But I do know that religion is deeply important to all of us who who are people of faith, and and we are tired and we are hungry to go back to where our our true home is right in in our hearts, and we we're, we're tired of it. We want we want to accept the risks as they are. We want to be smart about it, and we want to move forward. Thank you so much for tuning in today. For more of the Ram and Stag Show, simply search Ram and Stag on YouTube and Facebook. Now, here is a preview of Aaron's progressive argument in favor of building Site C.
3: When the Utilities Commission released their government-mandated recommendations on the project back in 2017, however, predictably landing squarely on the fence, offering absolutely no assistance whatsoever to the fledgling and divided BCNDP government caucus. Who of course just wanted desperately for someone, anyone, to make the decision for them, the new premier reluctantly emerged to announce his decision to continue, acknowledging how disappointed many British Columbians must be, including his own wife Ellie, apparently. Opponents of the project may be forgiven for feeling betrayed considering the winks and nods they'd received from the previous years during the previous years, leading them to believe the BCNDP was adamantly opposed to the project. Equally frustrating for them was the minor and performative resistance only offered by the Green Party, delighted to have for the first time in history not only three whole seats in the House, but a significant role to play in the maintenance of that minority government. There is a progressive case for Site C, despite its challenges. Indeed, no such public me- mega project, the likes of Site C Dam, could possibly emerge without enormous cost to the generation that builds it. When the first hydro dams were initiated in the 1950s, entire communities – Both colonial and indigenous were completely uprooted, and in some cases relocated, as everything they'd known was ultimately flooded. It was an enormous sacrifice for that generation to make, one that reverberates through our culture even today. But no one can deny that the generational sacrifice of our grandparents and great-grandparents created for future generations of British Columbians, the framework for complete and total energy independence in a world where such privilege in North America is rare. The opponents of the initial projects were many and moneyed, and they comprised the executive of the, pr- the privately-owned BC Electric Company. In order to surmount that institutional opposition, BC's premier at the time, the self-proclaimed enemy of the socialist hordes, abruptly announced the nationalization of BC's electrical electricity infrastructure, expropriating it from private hands in the name of BC's taxpayer. It was the singular most socialistic action of any premier in the history of a province before or since – So unpopular, even internally within conservative SoCred circles at the time, that W.A.C. Bennett was forced to hide the announcement from his own cabinet prior to making it. Thus, the project's opponents are left only with decidedly conservative fiscal arguments against Site C, opening themselves to the same errors of the right, attempting to peddle the nonsense that each dollar spent on the project somehow vanishes into the ether, wasted, never to be seen again.
1: New to our After 9 Friday morning edition, that is the Ram and Stag show, the Friday panel with Nathan Gita coming up in a moment. Go beyond the basics of spreadsheeting with CNC's Microsoft Excel Next Level Bootcamp. This course covers more complex functions like charting and data tools and will build upon your existing knowledge to create more functionality into your spreadsheets. CNC's new online course is instructor-led over two evenings. The Microsoft Excel Next Level Bootcamp will take place March 17th and 18th with a registration deadline of March 10th. For full details, contact the college or go online to cnc.bc.ca.
4: Join the Method Dance Society for free online workshops on contemporary movement and dance.
1: Hosted by Method Dance. Society, a half dozen guest instructors will help you develop your dance skills. Workshops run Saturday afternoons at 3.30 through May 8th.
4: Register for one or all the sessions at Method Dance.
1: Free online workshops in contemporary movement and dance from Method Dance Society, Saturday afternoons at 3:30 through May 8th.
4: Hi, I'm Jill Barber. I'm a singer-songwriter and a spokesperson for the 2021 edition of Les Rendezvous de la Francophonie. From March 1st to 31st, we'll be celebrating remotely, but all together. There will be a host of activities, contests, and games. So don't miss out. To find out what's cooking in the 2021 edition Rendez-vous de la Francophonie, visit rvf.ca.
6: The City of Prince George is seeking public input on reducing poverty and how poverty affects the whole community. A public survey on poverty reduction is available at princegeorge.ca slash getinvolved. Your participation will help the City prioritize recommendations for action and advocacy aimed at reducing poverty as outlined by the Select Committee on Poverty Reduction in support of the Provincial Poverty Reduction Strategy, Together B.C. The City's Poverty Reduction Survey is available through March 12th at princegeorge.ca slash getinvolved.
0: Keeping you up to date on current news and events in and around Prince George, this is After 9 on 93.1
2: CFIS-FM. Yes, good morning. This is After 9. Of course, this is the panel portion we have on Fridays. Joining me, as always, is Eric Allen, Herb Martin, Art, Art Key, and, of course, our newest addition to the panel, Peter Ewart. We're going to start right off with this whole question of churches and COVID, and uh we're going to begin with Herb Martin. Herb? Oh, Herb's not there. Herb's not there yet. Sorry. Uh Eric. Uh... uh... <laughs> I don't know what
7: we can do about this. I, I was thinking about it like this is uh, provincial government. They have rules and regulations covering uh, epidemics and that type of thing. But the Charter Rights and Freedoms is is basically federal. And uh, I think the issue is in uh, provincial court right now. So this, uh, this could be in court for, for a year before it's settled. And... Uh, so it is kind of a—it's a split for me. I, I'm really having trouble with it because, on one hand, I would like to think that the churches and people in general would take the responsibility to do the right thing to be sure that this thing is finished. And on the other hand, if we allow the government to go ahead and start restricting people's rights to do things, uh, the next thing you know is I won't be able to march on City Hall or something.
2: Yeah, and that might be important in the future, especially if uh, they build any more fire halls. Uh, you know, Art, I think that there's been this ongoing question ever since the pandemic began and there, you know, we decided that man did live on bread alone and uh, he needed, you know, Walmart or Costco to be open, but not his house of worship. Uh, is, has that understanding evolved in the pandemic? Have we gotten past that initial assessment now?
8: Oh, I don't think so. I think that attitude is still pretty pervasive uh, throughout the, the government and uh, the people in charge and the people who make the decisions on the medical situation. So, I don't think that's changed at all. I I think uh, the churches are coming from a, a position of weakness here. They just don't have a whole lot of support amongst uh, people in government, or I don't think really amongst the general population.
2: Peter, uh, just is this even a question of like our our first section of our of our charter of rights and freedoms our fundamental freedom to conscience to worship to assemble uh it, we understand that those things are going to be reduced somewhat under uh the covid restrictions but have they been reduced too far for churches
9: uh, well you know i think that the issue is that um you know the the whole question of quarantine and you know that, that lockdown goes back a long time in in history right so there's uh you know, a lot of precedent for it. Uh, when I look at the case that they have in uh, Alberta, there, you know, they're talking about, um, you know, it being a violation of uh, constitutional freedom and so on. I, I see that as a pretty weak case, right? But I, I see a, a stronger case would be for the uh, fact that um, the churches may be subject to restrictions that other places, retail places, bars, et cetera, uh, have, right? So I would see that would be more of a a strong point for them in terms of um, what they're looking at. In any case, I I really believe that uh, with what Art is saying about, um, you know, there's a lot of support for, you know, maintaining, you know, serious lockdown. At the same time, though, what's really important is that the government doesn't get heavy-handed about it, you know, that we try to negotiate, you know, with with people and, and so on.
2: Yeah, I believe it was in uh, Manitoba that there's been <laughs> uh, people hauled away uh, from their places of worship in cop cars, and that doesn't look so great. Uh, Herb, I mean, this is this is an ongoing debate. I'd, I'm interested to hear what you have to say about it. Do, uh, do the churches have a leg to stand on here, or are they just going to have to uh, grin and bear it?
5: Well, it's a bit of muddy waters. I mean, uh, I wish um, Arnie Henry would come out with some statistics. Uh, we know uh, just by word of mouth that we've had three major outbreaks in northern health associated with religious uh, gatherings uh print two and Prince George, um a uh, fairly big one in uh, fort st john associated with a trip to alberta for uh, some sort of religious meeting so there's not uh, there there are grounds for concern and um and there are there does seem to be some alternatives there's um a pastor, I believe, in uh, Terrace or Prince Rupert that is conducting um, uh, ceremonies over Zoom until everyone gets vaccinated. So, you know, there there seems to be some, uh, some opportunities here for compromise, and uh, the, the thing is, I think Bonnie Henry is coming at it uh, with um, no sense of, no desire to persecute uh, any religious uh, group, uh, B.C. has done uh, the second worst in Canada last week in terms of the rate of cases. Uh, we're behind um, only uh, Saskatchewan. Uh, Quebec and Ontario are about uh, two-thirds of the rate of infection that we have. So there, I think there's grounds uh, to be cautious here. And uh, I, would have, I would have wished that she'd come forward with some numbers to uh, support it, uh, specifically with religious groups.
2: We're going to take a quick break right there, and we'll be right back with the panel.
3: Hello, my name is Patrick Chan. I'm a figure skater and a self-confessed foodie. As part of the 2021 Rendez-vous de la Francophonie, I'm honored to be the host of the Kitchen Party Contest. We want to know what your favorite recipe is, and more importantly, what it means to you. Sign up today on rvf.ca. You'll have the chance to win one of many delectable prizes. Good luck and bon appétit.
6: There's a new way for Northern BC residents to access hospital test results, upcoming appointments and lab tests, and other medical information without leaving home. Northern Health has launched Healthy Life, a patient portal you can access from your computer or smartphone. It's been developed to make physical distancing easier in healthcare settings by having fewer people need to go to their doctor's office to get results. Healthy Life is optional and patients can still go to their doctor's office or clinic for results. For more information about Healthy Life, go to northernhealth.ca slash services slash digital-health.
0: Two Rivers Gallery is excited to present a new exhibition featuring work by Prince George based artist Audrey McKinnon. I Miss Your Faces is an exhibition installation hybrid which considers the importance of human connection especially during a global pandemic. Check out I Miss Your Faces by Audrey McKinnon through March 14th at the Two Rivers Gallery open Tuesday through Thursday 9 to 5. Two Rivers Gallery where creativity flows in the Canada Games Plaza.
6: Forecast from Environment Canada. Cloudy today with a 70% chance of showers this morning. Showers this afternoon with the risk of a thunderstorm. Wind becoming southeast 40, gusting to 60 this afternoon and a high of 8. Cloudy tonight with more gusting southeast winds and a low of 0. For Saturday, clearing a wind from the south at 20 and a high of 5.
0: It's after 9 on Prince George's Community Station, 93.1 CFIS-FM
2: yes good morning we're back with the panel and we're going to go into that theme that just keeps giving that's right the vaccine rollout uh it's underway of course all across the world underway here in uh, british columbia for the most part how are we doing at it for some read on that we're going to go to herb herb uh
5: we're we're still pretty slow compared to some others in the world uh But uh, as others have pointed out, um, you know we don't have our own vaccine um, manufacturing. Uh, The news on the uh, radio this morning, CBC radio, was that uh, uh, Italy is holding back on uh, shipments of uh, vaccine to Australia, saying they don't uh, need it as much as uh, the Italians do. So this is what happens when you don't have your own facility. Uh, We've got to uh, basically we've got to just help ourselves by. Uh, Maintaining social distancing and masking until uh, we get it—that's sad, simple truth.
2: Peter, I mean, are you in favor of us? You know, we can we could build a viral facility here in Prince George or get some research underway. What what happened to our uh, vaccine uh, capacity in this country?
9: Well, at one point in time, we had it with the Connaught Labs and uh, other facilities, right? But then, uh, basically, they got sold off and privatized and 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 so on, right? So we have a situation where now we're in a very difficult uh, place, and uh, I agree with Herb about the whole question of the manufacturing, not just of the vaccines, but the, the personal protective equipment and, and other uh, important material uh, when there's an epidemic like this. So I, I really think that we need a really serious review of uh, of such things as the vaccine vaccine production, uh, antiviral production, but also looking at the experience of uh, the lockdowns across the country and w- what are the best practices there, you know, because there's been uh, certainly there's been some things that have been effective, but there's many things that have not been effective. And uh, one of the problems right now, of course, is that, um, as Herb says there, we're, we're way behind where I think I heard one figure that says that we're in terms of per capita vaccine rate. We're 44th in the world. Well, we shouldn't be there. Uh, so I think that we need a, a really substantial review of, uh, of everything associated with the epidemic.
2: Art, I mean, uh, we could definitely get some, you know, some vaccine facilities underway somewhere in this country, I'm sure. Uh, will that review result in us actually building something here for once?
8: have no idea what's going to happen it would take quite a while to build a facility like that and then to maintain it and keep it uh, up to snuff and ready to go uh, for when the next pandemic happens Uh, it takes a lot of money and planning ahead and uh, you know if we start now we might have one in time for the next one but uh, you know it's is, will it uh, make money? Uh, will it have to be constantly supported by government? Is it, there's a lot of things to be looked into there to find out if it can happen. Um, I, I can't blame other countries like Italy for looking after their own people first. You know, if if there was a fire and uh, I was in a public place with my family, I would get my family out first before I tried to rescue yours. That's just only natural, and uh, I can't blame them for that. So. I don't have any problem with
2: that. That's understandable. Uh, I'll try to rescue you next time we're in a fire together. Art. Um, Eric, it's, you know, again, like we've talked about this before with building ships in Canada, uh, kind of getting anything built in Canada seems to take a while or never happen. Are we going to be able to build a vaccine facility in this country due to the what we've seen here? Well,
7: <clears throat> not only uh, should we, but, uh, you know, I should say we really should. And uh, like Peter mentioned, we had one before, so obviously we know we can do it. What we're doing, uh, regardless of whether it's vaccine or what it is, is we're getting it built in other countries because it's cheaper, and then having it shipped back to us. And, and of course, that's fine as long as nothing goes wrong with the wrong with the supply chain. But this is a, a dramatic example of what can go wrong and uh you know we we were at one time a country of uh, free thinkers and we had the ability to do anything now we're constantly being told that we can't do anything and basically they're selling and and ripping us off the whole country while we sit here they just it's just unbelievable and uh, even to suggest that we can't have a, a situation like that is an insult to the average canadian's intelligence we can build one of these things fund it and it can operate as a semi uh, private facility producing something else uh, at the time, and then if, if there's a need for it, it can switch over and start making uh, vaccines. I mean, it, it's not rocket science or anything. It's just the inability to for politicians in this country to do anything other than what they're told to do by the uh, corporate people, and we pay the price. Like, like the federal government has still got only so many responsibilities. One of them is to look after our food supply and and the ability to grow our own food. And the other one is to make sure we have seed seed banks and that so that if something goes wrong, we can plant food. I have no idea where they are with that right now, but I suggest that if something went wrong with the food supply, it would be the same thing. The Americans and uh, South Americans and a few other countries say, well, we can't give you anything because we need it for ourselves and we would have a problem.
2: Well, uh, our... Um, sorry sorry herb coming back around to herb uh, herb you know i've been told many times that uh, i shouldn't value avocados that much but apparently i should value avocados as much as i uh, value vaccines um, are we going to be able to start making our own vaccines or avocados for that matter in this country
5: yeah we should uh, take a serious look at being self-sufficient in things that uh, really matter and um, you know when you start talking about 82 billion dollars for frigates uh, maybe uh a couple of billion dollars spent on a um, uh, vaccine manufacturing facility would, would be money well spent. I mean, if we had been better prepared, uh, you know, we, we could have saved a significant amount of money. This is um, disastrous for the Canadian economy. And uh, we're really stuck in a hard place through lack of foresight, lack of planning. And so maybe, you know, all these, these calls for uh, efficiency, and competitiveness um, have to be tempered somewhat with, um, uh, you know, some some planning for uh, for self-reliance because there's a balance there that has to be met.
2: Peter, the the thing that comes to my mind is that when it comes to self sufficiency, are we really having are we really having that discussion, or are people just is it getting lost in the noise? Uh, and is self sufficiency one more thing that even free speech is going to be stifled on? Because when you start criticizing the government on its rollout, maybe people don't want to listen to you very much.
9: Well, yes. Yeah, so when you look at this uh, this this current model of globalization, there there are serious problems with it, and the What the pandemic has done is is it's uncovered some of these uh, serious problems in terms of uh, we're looking at the pandemic, but there's uh, many other examples. And we need to have uh, the uh, serious discussion about this, about what kind of globalization we want, but also looking at uh, our own nation-building strategy within the context of the world today. And uh, too often uh, that discussion just does not take place. You know, that we don't look at the, you know, the politicians and all this. They ignore the whole question, like, of the importance of continuing nation-building. And part of nation-building is to make sure that there's self-sufficiency in key areas, as Eric was pointing out there. You you, you have to be uh, in that kind of uh, situation. You need strong uh, national governments within the globalized world today. But uh, too often, you know, we're just following into this uh, current model of globalization, which I think is uh, leaves a lot to be desired.
2: Art, I'll give you the last word on this topic. There's, What do we need to see to have that self-sufficiency increase? How, how are we going to move that forward?
8: Oh, we have to change a lot of attitudes. Um, uh, it would help if we made it uh, much easier for business to operate, take away all the restrictions and uh, regulations that make it difficult and uh, encourage private enterprise, not just government. Uh, like you can have government initiatives, you can have government setting things up like this, but you need to make it uh, able to run on its own as well. Uh, everything that If everything is run by government, then you've got a real problem because uh, inefficiencies of government get in there. Uh, The bottom line, a lot of people say, oh, the bottom line, that's all I think about in private industry. Well, without the bottom line, it doesn't exist, and the government has to pay attention to that, too. So you need a good uh, meld there of government help, government uh, involvement, and private sector.
2: Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break right there. The City of Prince George
1: is seeking applications for a grant that helps creative residents and organizations initiate or sustain great ideas, events, and projects. The MyPG Community Grant assists not-for-profit groups and other community organizations to develop and implement innovative activities that contribute to making Prince George a vibrant community. The application deadline for this grant is March 15th. More information and application details are available through the Grants and Financial Services link under City services at princegeorge.ca
3: in a year where community organizations are facing uncertainty, the needs are greater than ever to alter programming and amend budgets to accommodate community needs. The Northern Interior Community Association provides support, guidance, and assistance in the community gaming grant application process.
1: The next round of grants are open to all art and cultural not-for-profits, charities, and community groups until April 30th.
3: For assistance, contact the Northern Interior Community Association by email to coordinator at
1: Northern ICA. Like you, Tourism Prince George is passionate about exploring our city, especially now when it's not the time to travel. Currently, all non-essential travel to and within B.C. should be avoided. With that in mind, Tourism Prince George has put together all the information you need to stay local and support local. Find everything you need to know about COVID restrictions, what's open and travel protocols by clicking on the Know Before You Go link at tourismpg.com.
0: Vous souhaitez apporter une contribution durable à votre collectivité et au Canada? Le recensement de la population approche et près de 32 000 emplois au recensement sont désormais à pourvoir partout au Canada. Ne manquez pas cette occasion de participer à un projet national. Les emplois au recensement de Statistique Canada sont intéressants, sûrs et gratifiants. Postulez maintenant ou parlez-en à un ami. Consultez-le. recensement.gc.ca/emploi. Featuring the people who make things happen in Prince George, you're listening to After 9 on 93.1 CFISFM. FM.
2: Yes, good morning, of course, we're back with the last portion of the panel, and uh, we're going to go right into the cost of living, which has also combined with an increase in population in Prince George, and for a vote on that, we're going to start with Eric Allen. Eric,
7: yeah I was just uh you know kind of wondering here on uh you know when you hear that lots of print storage in some areas are selling for two hundred thousand dollars that's just for the lot and then and then you see lumber trading at a thousand dollars aboard feet u s which is over twelve hundred dollars a feet uh canadian i guess uh and then you see a a print or some information come out from the uh People that produce lumber that uh, you know the first of the year was bad and you but know, the end of the year they show a huge profit um, and then they say well the U.S. Uh, lumber market is being uh, is being like housing starts one point six million which is being driven by the millennials but if you look at the median wage for a millennial down there it's forty six thousand dollars a year. So, you know, when I start going through this stuff, I just get totally confused and say, who's telling the truth, who's telling the tall tale, and what the hell's going on. All I know for sure is that if you're somewhere around 40, 50, 60,000 a year, and you want to buy a $550,000 house here, which should cost you a million dollars in Surrey, lots of luck. That's all I've got to say.
2: No doubt lots of luck. I mean, the ongoing question of the numbers is just staggering. Um, I've met people amongst my own generation, uh, given that I am a millennial, that are actually employed by the government, uh, you know, so that's about as guaranteed an employer as you can get, who make probably in the range of around a $60,000 uh, salary, so that's a decent salary. They're still not getting pre-approved prop- for, for a mortgage without serious rental income. Um, Herb, what what are we looking at here, and is there a way to solve this?
5: Yeah, there's got to be a real attitude shift here. Uh, it's, um, uh, you know, one thing, I mean, Prince George's nice that Prince George has had, a, had, a, had another thousand people added to it. But um, look, we've got uh, 3,000 acres that have already been developed on Boundary Road. You know, for, I think the city went up spending close to $30 million doing it. Uh, it's supposed to be light industrial, but it would be perfectly good for residential. Um, 3,000 acres, uh, let's say half of it, 1,500 lots. Uh, you know, it, it would uh, create a, a, a building boom here. Uh, we could attract people from Lower Mainland who want to cash out. Um, you know, that's that's a real way forward for Prince George. The other thing we have to start looking at is uh, we've got uh, lumber in this, uh, potential lumber in this province is not being produced because the majors don't want to, uh, uh, I think they're making more money by shutting down VC mills than by opening up new ones. Uh you know, Fort Nelson hasn't had a sawmill in um, uh, over ten years. Uh, there's uh, AEC in McKenzie that's still not being used. The uh, Canfor still got that uh, sawmill shut down. Uh, it's you know we're we're a, a province built on uh, on, lum- on the lumber industry, and um, somehow the big companies uh, can't uh, can't take advantage of it. So something has to happen. We have to open up some markets.
2: Peter, I mean, this is an ongoing debate, the cost of living, the rising costs of everything, how, how the next generation is going to take the reins from the former generation and, and manage their way through the world with the cost of things. Well, do you have any uh, magic solutions to this problem?
9: Well, yeah, I, at this point in time, like, it's a very confusing situation, like uh, Eric was talking about there. And I think part of the problem is, of course, like we've had huge corporate bailouts in the last few years, and then there's all the stimulus money and uh, the printing of money on a large scale. So you have this situation where uh, inflation is hit certain sectors. Right now it's hitting the uh, lumber industry, you know, but then we look at Bitcoin and we look at the cost of food. And so there's a kind of an unnatural situation that's taking place here. It's like we're getting multiple shots of, of adrenaline into the economy. Uh, but it doesn't necessarily cre- uh, create a, a healthy situation. So in terms of um, what's to be done with that, well, that's a, a really difficult one because um, it, it's ca- caught in with, uh, you know, the whole question of what government is doing at this time and what the corporate sector is doing. And uh, I, I fear right now that, um, you know, one of the problems, like we're moving from the, the fear of deflation, which was uh, governing a lot of policy in the last few years, into one of inflation or even hyperinflation. And uh, when that happens uh, with hyperinflation, you know, one of the tools in the toolbox is to raise interest rates. But the problem that they have right now is that if they raise interest rates, there's all kinds of people who've got million-dollar homes and all that who are going to will go bust. And uh, so there's a, we're, we're into a box right now where there's, there's not many tools to get us out of it.
2: Eric, uh, it needs to be noted that historically, uh, people have been renting much more than they've been freeholding property. The idea of there being middle, a um, large middle class holding its own property is actually a relatively new thing. Are we just headed back into the times of uh, of a serf who rents from his liege and uh, has to give a portion of his income?
7: Well, yeah, that's uh, you know some of that is happening. But the the question, the real question is, is why why should it happen, and why should people not be able to? <clears throat> excuse me, uh, buy a lot and buy a home. I mean there was a time you could you could do that. The city was involved in in uh, servicing lots. It went up for uh, bid and the highest bidder set the price. You could build a house on your own. All you needed was the city inspector to come in and inspect it. The most of the large tr- cost of building a house now is the architect you gotta have, the engineers gotta you gotta have. You know, uh you got some guy come in before you build it and uh you know, you can't, you can't subcontract it yourself without taking a course. Before, you could just hire the contractors. And, uh, you know, now we've got, like, just as an example, if you, you're now required to put a cement sidewalk. If you build a house, you have to have a cement sidewalk, and it's going to cost you about $15,000. That goes right on the cost of a house. Well, you didn't need that before. Now, who in the hell decided that you needed that? Somebody has gone to the government, and they've said, you know, this is a requirement and they use safety issues and all kinds of things to, to get their product into your house because that's where the money is. So we've had asphalt uh, driveways and or no driveways. Now, we know that the biggest polluter in North America is asphalt roads, but that's okay for the government. But I can't have an asphalt driveway. I've got to pay an extra $10,000 added to the cost of my house. So if the government itself is is really responsible for a lot of this
2: Peter, I'll just come back to you quickly here i what What do we need to look at uh, as kind of a single thing of like what would what would help the situation uh, improve immensely? You've got sixty seconds
9: um, well I, I, it comes down I think one of the things that that should end is uh, the the corporate bailout aspect of things. We're creating a situation where there's all kinds of zombie companies around now. In terms of uh, getting bailout money, and this has been going on over the last few years, and so that just taking that kind of pressure off the economy uh, would would certainly help so that would be one thing i would I would uh, propose is that uh, we have to look at that and uh, also look at the, the you know the question like of uh, making it so that there's more money in the hands of people like uh, in the sense of uh, uh, we, we look right now, like I know in the United States that uh, for example there 's huge numbers of people who um, you know make way below the minimum wage, and you have a situation there where you know the purchasing power has uh, stagnated or and it's that 's true in in Canada as well, so we have to look at those those things and the corporate bailouts and secondly how can we look at uh, raising the uh, income levels of uh, of people so that uh, the goods and services can c-
2: circulate absolutely and with that we'll be back next week
0: after Nine is a daily presentation of CFISFM. After Nine is produced by Alan Wishart, Reg Fair, and Nathan Gita, with guest producer Neil Godbu of The Prince George Citizen. Additional contributors include CBC News and the National Campus and Community Radio Association. For a rebroadcast of today's program, check out the podcast link at cfisfm.ca. To provide feedback or suggestions for the show, please email cfisfm at yahoo.ca.
1: You're tuned to 93.1 CFISFM, Prince George. Proudly sponsored by community organizations like the Prince George Symphony Orchestra.